everyone, and uh, welcome to Jay Starkman, the CEO of Engage PEO. Welcome, Jay. How are you doing? Be good, Pat. Thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm doing fine, and it's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, you're sort of on my list of uh, uh, least likely to capture on this because I know you're busy and you're always moving. <laughs> and it was fortuitous that we were able to intersect at the at the uh, conference. And I was able to put the arm on you there. You could run, but you couldn't hide. It's like, Jay, you got to get on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for agreeing. It really is my pleasure. And so, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about Jay, um, you know, and and, uh, sanitize out any of the bad stuff. And then we're going to talk about Jay in the PEO industry and do that stuff. Uh, So, yeah, so I actually don't know. So where did you start? Are you from Florida or where did you start out? So uh, born in New York, moved to Florida when I was eight. Uh, been here ever since, including college. Wow. And so uh, what part of Florida did you go? Did you move to? South Florida. Um, went to, ended up going to FIU and uh, U of M and uh, just stayed down here. I don't mind traveling, but you don't have to shovel sunshine. Yeah, I was going to say, and so you weren't, you weren't driven to go back to New York for the horrible weather? <laughs> no. At any point, it's a great place to go in July and August, but <laughs> isn't that the truth? Um, okay, so, uh, so of course, you, uh, uh, you're a reformed lawyer, I think, right? So, you end up going to law school, right? I did. I mean, I didn't start out there, I wanted to be a fighter pilot of all things, really. Um, yeah, and uh, went to the Air Force Academy, uh, hurt my knee there, and uh, was honorably discharged. And uh, was sort of lost, went to a local school because I was in a, a knee cast for about a year um, after the surgery and, uh, you know, did well in school and didn't know what I wanted to do. So my dad was a federal judge and mm-hmm. said, uh, go to law school. So I said, okay. and I went to law school. So did you ever get your pilot's license? No, I did not. That dream faded. <laughs> well, the, the days so, so you went to the Air Force Academy. So you had I to did. go through the whole thing and get a member of Congress to write a rec- the recommendation for you and all that stuff. I did. Yes, I did. That's, I had no idea. And so you were there for how long? Just a year? A short time. I blew out my knee in basic training, tried to hang out, and uh, it wasn't to be. But if you were in a cast for a year, that's a fairly significant uh, injury. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, my need had to be reconstructed. So it's interesting. That takes me back to the, where you began. So uh, I, you know, the, I, I was got a joke to say like, "What? You moved from New York to Florida? No one does that, right? So I, I'm right. from New Jersey, right? Everybody's from New Jersey, <laughs> New York, just heads down to Florida. But that's right. interesting. But your dad was a federal judge. So how did that happen? Was he? A, he wasn't a federal judge in New York. He became a judge no. in Florida. Correct. Correct. Uh, a, appointed by who? Uh, wow, well, I don't remember. I, I was very young. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he's passed away now, but you know that was goodness, probably forty years ago. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And confirmed by the Senate. That, I mean, a federal judge. That that's that's a big no, deal. no. He, he was uh, 
administrative, so the administrative branch. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Yep. It, it, it's more local, but yeah. okay, got it. Yeah, that's still that's that's a significant uh, significant yep. title, a significant slot. That's it. Okay, and, so you get out of law school, and yep. what did you do first? You didn't get into the PO industry right away, right? No, I wanted to jump in and start my own firm. My dad said. You're stupid. You don't know anything. Don't work at a law firm. My, my so, dad told me the same thing. So. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, make your mistakes on somebody else. So I went to a, a very large, prestigious at the time, uh, law firm in Miami. Um, and I was there three years. And the main thing I learned there was I didn't want to work for anybody. Um, <laughs> the, but the main I, thing I you learned was, was you didn't want to work for a big firm in Miami. <laughs> Correct. So um, left there. Um, after three years, so we're now in um, 91 mm-hmm. and uh, started my own law firm uh, with a friend. And we grew that to, I think we had about 20 lawyers at, at some stage. Wow. Um, and you were doing general practice, Jay? or what, what's I was a litigator. I was a commercial litigator. Okay. Um, and was there for about a decade in 1999. I had the good fortune of arguing a case before the United States Supreme Court, wow. um, which was a great experience. Um, Scalia was tough. And um, after what, that, what kind, of case, what kind of case was it? It was a racketeering case in an employment setting. because I was doing a lot of employment law back then. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, I lost. I should have lost. <laughs> and uh, after that, I migrated a little more out of practicing law to more of managing the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had about 50 employees. Um, and around 2000, I realized that, wow, I, I really liked the business side more than I liked the uh, legal side. So one of my clients at the time was starting a chemical, well, a technology company for the chemical industry. And I helped them prepare a business plan and I helped them recruit a CEO who uh, came from IDM. This was late nineties, early two thousands when everybody was leaving big companies to start up technology companies and make their fortune. Um, and in the recruiting process, which I ran, I really uh, grew fond of the recruited CEO. And one of his first acts was to bring me aboard under him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very fortunate with that because um, being a CEO, in my opinion, is not a natural skill. It's something <laughs> that is learned and you have to be taught to do it well. And um, this gentleman um, coming from IBM, which at the time had one of the best training programs in the world, um, and he was in the top 200 there, really took me under his wing and and showed me how to do it. Um, And then he left because the timing was not so great. Technology companies in uh, at the turn of the millennium. Um, and the, the the product was being delivered to chemical um, companies. And when markets shift, chemical companies just stop on a dime. CapEx just stops. They are very cycle sensitive. Mm-hmm. 
So um, it just uh, wasn't to be in that uh, iteration. Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, I learned so much there. And that was uh, 2001, 2002. Got it. Um, so, okay, I'll pick up back there in a second. I am yeah. stuck back on two things. First of all, like Air Force Academy <laughs> argued, ah. a case, argued a case before the Supreme Court. Like, whoa, we just sort of breezed right through that. So yeah. I'll pick up, I promise, back at where we left off. But what was, what I mean, I've been to a couple of arguments in the Supreme Court, right? It's just, it's just yeah. So what was that like? I mean, you, were you pretty, ah, scary. Were you pretty amped up? Uh, I, I, let's see, it's 1999. So I am 35. Um, and it, you don't have anything that can prepare you for this. There are people there that argue professionally. And so what they tell you um, is, and I was, you know, fearless back then. Um, <laughs> it takes years to realize that you should be afraid of certain things. Yeah. But I wasn't afraid of anything. Um, but they tell you, listen, it is such an imposing atmosphere. Memorize the first 60 to 90 seconds of what you're going to say, mm -hmm. memorize it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that you could do it, you know, with a gun pointed at your head yep. so that you're prepared. And so um, I stand up and probably the only time in my life, my knees buckled. I was that nervous having seen all of the pomp and ceremony there and talking to these incredible, you know, smartest people in the world. Um, and by and, the way, for those who haven't been there, it's not a cavernous place. It's small. Like, they're right there. No, they're, yeah. they're right there, but higher than you. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. You're down here. They're way, way up there. Exactly. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's a little, it, it even adds to the pressure, <laughs> right? Um, and you're prepared for this for six months, nine months. And uh, they start firing questions at you, but they give you that 90 seconds. Um, and then they stop you mid-sentence. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it was a blur because it was just questions from each side. And it was a split decision. It was six to three against. Um, but the, um, the, the you get a question from... Scalia, who was against me, who was just so smart. Right. Um, but then there'd be a question from somebody else who was on your side, yeah. and they'd be battling each other through their questions to you, and your head just spins. Yeah. Um, so it was like nothing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Um, next to my marriage and birth of my children, it's the thing that has left the biggest um, imprint on the things I've done. Yeah. And you would say like one-tenth of one percent of all the, lawyer in the, the lawyers in the country have argued before the Supreme Court. I mean, it's just such an unbelievable. It's got to be or something. I mean, I'm sure it's infinitesimal, but it's yeah. just because there's a Supreme Court bar of uh, people right. in D.C. who do that, right? Yes. But then if you're not one of those like 20 or 30 people, the no. odds in front of the Supreme Court are pretty slim. Yeah. And no, ridiculously so. And, you know, it was great. But what it taught me afterwards um, was it was really hard for me to go back to being an everyday lawyer. Um, you know, I just couldn't do it anymore. I had reached what lawyers consider the pinnacle. Absolutely. Um, and that's why I went more to something I enjoyed, which was business. Yeah. 
Okay, so let me fast forward that again. Pick back up. I'm sorry for the distraction, but I was no, so, okay. so unbelievable. Okay. And next time I see you, pre be prepared to talk a lot more about that because that's a, a fascinating it's your show. <laughs> unbelievable. But uh, okay, so fast forward back to where you were. You had your mentor and person from IBM. Yep. It's really interesting where I where I cut you off is when you said, I learned a lot from that experience. Yep. So what? What would you say were your major takeaways from that? Oh, I, I, that's easy. Um, patience. Mm -hmm. How so? Um, I, as a lawyer, especially, it's all about deadlines. It's all about um, your goals and uh, setting standards that you insist upon, um, as opposed to having to rely on others to do things. And sometimes they don't do it like you would do it. Yeah. Um, and you have to be patient uh, with their process because it's not yours. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, patience, tolerance, the same, mm -hmm. you know, in, in mm -hmm. the same vein. Um, you have to get much better at delegation. Yeah. Um, you can't do it all. Yeah. Um, you know, when I fast forward, I will talk about that again when we talk about engage. Um, and then the third thing, which was very difficult for me, um, was that as a lawyer, there was never any need to put on a happy face. Mm -hmm. There was never any need to um, be the constant rock that encouraged people. Um, you know, and there's the old saying, if a CEO sneezes, the company gets a cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, you cannot wear your emotions on your sleeve. And that was something I did wrong um, at, at the chemical industry company, um, at the technology company before that. Um, so he really taught me to, uh, whether it's good or bad mm -hmm. that's going on, it's just part of the job. And you have to be the same person in either situation yeah that's a great that's a great point and a great lesson right because yeah, yeah. If the ceo is you know going through like highs and lows then the, the world can't know that yeah right it's exactly you right. know and look it's been successful i have people here at engage now with me that have been with me for 25 years across three different companies um you know it's it's yeah get, getting people right is the job of a CEO. It, it's not the other stuff. You you can hire strategists. You can, um, you know, it, it, there's plenty of consultants that can do just about everything except the people part. Isn't that true? I, I say all the time, we're not, you know, we're not in the PEO business. You're in the getting the right people on the bus business. And right? making sure that they are all, rowing in the same at the same you know time and direction amen amen yeah that that's a challenge but whatever business you're in you're not yeah. in that business. you're in the business of getting the right people absolutely and when you do it's magic right and for, for, I agree. for me for the last 12 years it's been magic here because the right team is in place it's fabulous but and it's look at all you've accomplished you just you just wait you know you hold your breath and hope you can keep it together is the thing yeah so okay so then what was the move to the peo industry you so ah. Um, you so, lost a, did you lose a bet or what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so my introduction to the PEO industry was at that chemical industry company. Huh. Um, we were a customer. Okay. We used a PEO and we had, I, God, I don't remember, somewhere between 100 and 200 employees. Um, hmm. And 
I had grown very uh, close to the executive team of that PEO, um, including the founder of it. Um, th- that PEO that we were a customer of was Alphastat. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and uh, when the chemical industry wound down, not the chemical industry, I'm sorry, when the technology company, it was called OneCat, when it wound down, mm-hmm. um, I spoke with them and agreed to come aboard as uh, president with a wonderful man named Bob Beck. Um, I never knew was, Bob, but I've heard his name a lot in the you know. yeah, rest in peace. Um, but uh, you know, it, it was a, a great uh, introduction to the industry, and it, it, it's so interesting because I didn't, you know, I had wound down that job. I was okay. What am I going to do next? Wow, this PEO thing was so instrumental in what we were doing at the chemical technology company because um, I, I look, I, candidly, I thought workers' comp was a tax. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I had somebody that was handling it. We mm-hmm. had, you know, over 100 employees. We had one HR person and it was just wonderful. So I get there and I realize that the reason that I had become so familiar with the executive team of Alpha Staff was that we were one of their largest clients. You know, I think we were their largest client. Yeah, I would think. And yeah. that was a shock. So at the technology company, we were selling our services. We, our clients were like Vulcan and Dow and DuPont were, you know, it, yeah. it was, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune yeah. 100 companies yeah. in an incredibly slow-moving industry. Technology mm-hmm. was not, but the chemical industry clients were. Um, PEO was the opposite. And I couldn't get my head around at first the fact that this was an industry built around helping small businesses, mm-hmm. um, you know, because my goal was to be take a small company and make it big. Yeah. Um, and here was an industry that catered to that small stage. And, you know, without using any names, there were lots of players, prominent players in the industry mm-hmm. that were saying things like, if you have more than a hundred employees, you're not a good fit for a PEO. <laughs> um, and I knew that wasn't the case because we had more than a hundred employees as a client and it was a godsend. Yeah. Yep. So um, that's why I focused from that first day I got there, which was 2003 when, you know, Alpha staff at the time had like 6,000 worksite employees. Wow. Um to really trying to fashion a service and a uh, delivery mechanism that could get to larger clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really what we uh, tried to do there. So that's how I, I got into the PEO industry. Yeah, so it's great. And I, I knew you'd come through Alpha Staff, but I didn't know that you had been a client of Alpha Staff. I had. Um, and by the way, um, I, I didn't even know this. But at the law firm that preceded the technology company, um, we also used a PEO, and I don't remember what it was, um, but we had always used PEOs. Wow. And, you know, I just thought at the time that the combination of the technology background and the legal background was a good fit, which is why I jumped into the industry without knowing that much about it. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought it was a great product. Let's learn it. Yeah. Um, and under Bob and then took over for Bob yeah. um, in the seven years that I was there. So in the seven years when you got there, they had 6,000 worksite employees. When you exited, and I'll get to that in a minute, what was the uh, worksite employee count? 70,000. Damn. Okay. <laughs> so how'd you do that? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was a function, a little different than we did at Engage. It was some larger clients. It was, you know, look, I think our average client size there was like 40 employees, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. It wasn't that much larger than what the industry was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we hired a lot of salespeople. Um, for a company our size, we really invested in salespeople. And Bob, his father, was the CEO and chairman of Prudential. Wow. Robert Beck Sr., mm-hmm. just a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, our board at Alpha Staff was filled at the time with high-level insurance guys. Mm-hmm. And so Bob had pioneered before I got there, um, trying to go through market. I, I didn't love the way he was doing it at the time, but trying to go to market through um, with referrals from insurance agents. He was actually trying to get them to sell mm-hmm. the product. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you know there, were, there have been a few PEOs that have tried that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really effective. Um, yep. Insurance people know insurance yep. um, and that's what they sell. Um, so I, I didn't think that was a, a great way to go about it. But with lots of feet on the street, plus um, the uh, the agency channel, which I think accounted for about 50, 60 percent of the business back then. And one acquisition, there was one acquisition, um, an insurance company called Selective Insurance mm-hmm. owned a PEO. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had about 15,000 works on employees mm-hmm. and all that. Um, but everything else was organic there. Wow, that's impressive. And, and by the way, you know, we, we have this ongoing debate here, you know, because so much of our marketing materials are, you know, a great solution for small business. And a bunch of people, you know, members are like, hey, quit saying small business. Okay. Ah. What's your average client size? 22. Okay. <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so were you able to upsell and get some of the, I mean, because you certainly knew what you were talking about in terms of like, no, I came from a 200-person company. I mean, is that a yeah. space you did crack? Is that a space we can crack? We made inroads okay. is the best way to describe it. Okay. By identifying some industries that were well-suited to PEO, um, hotel chains, restaurant chains, uh, hospitals, nursing homes, large doctor's offices. So by looking at these companies and they, you know, what they had in common was decentralized, multi-location, multi-state, but larger, often growing by acquisition. Um, we, we migrated up, but I, I don't want to undersell what we did there, but we were a PEO. There wasn't anything newfangled or special with maybe some of the business coming from uh, the insurance agents mm-hmm. And a really expensive top-end sales force. I've never been good um, at 
training young salespeople. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some PEOs. In fact, there's a large PEO. Again, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's a large PEO that I asked the CEO, a national public one, what they do better than anybody. And his answer was, and this is years ago, we train young salespeople. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, um, that's never would have thought of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that in some models, you got to do that. Yeah, I've never been good at that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we had a very high-powered, high-priced sales force that accomplished those goals. Probably hired from that company that was training the young salespeople. <laughs> right, because some graduate, right? Yeah, right, um, right. And, you know, look, so I think we got up over 40 worksite employees per company, but it wasn't, it wasn't a fine-tuned product mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. There to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it inroads, but didn't accomplish the goal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, there's a lot of M and A, and we'll get to that a little bit more in depth. But then, uh, uh, walk me through the decision to uh, sell AlphaStack to, to, for the decision to exit. So you're going to yeah. So it wasn't company enormous. I was a hired gun, right? I was okay. a. I had a small piece. Okay. Um, just a typical CEO okay. um, share. Um, the decision was made by Bob okay. after the uh, growth that we had had. I mean, we had grown tenfold. Um, and it had been, I mean, he had formed the company, I think, seven or eight years before I got there. So the, the money that had come in, the inve- initial investors and his money, because um, there were probably, I don't know, 50 investors. I'm not sure how many. Um, it had been 12, 13 years since they had put money in. So it was time to, to realize it. Um, it was sold to a private equity group. Yeah. Um, we saw things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I exited. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, about, uh, a, I want to say, Maybe a year after they came in, maybe two years actually. Yeah, they. Uh, I stuck it out for two years, and it just we mutually agreed that it wasn't a great fit. They had certain um, conceptions of where they wanted to take the company, mm-hmm. which were not consistent with what I thought was Brett best. Yep. And yep. I suggested that they yep. get somebody that could do what yep. they were looking to. Yep. The end of they the day, have, you know. And since then, I've had many private equity partners. Um, and, you know, they all ask you the same question, what are you looking for? Mm. And the number one answer learning from that experience was unity of vision. That's great. You, you have to have the ownership, the CEO, the executive team, all sharing the same vision for where a company is going to go. Um, and then, that vision can be evangelized throughout the entire organization. Um, But if it is not uniform at those upper levels, it's chaos. And I woke up one day and said to my wife, this isn't fun. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, sounds like it. So what what was the distance between that and engage? um, Two years. Okay. Quite candidly, I wasn't, I didn't have any plans. You know, I know that there have been some exits and then people decide, knew when they exited, they were going to start their next thing. I wanted nothing to do with PEO. Uh, (laughs) I I had a little bit of a bad taste from that series of events. And again, it's not 
nobody was a bad guy. I don't want to, to convey that the wrong way. It was just that the direction of the company under their ownership needed to change mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from what I had put together. Mm -hmm. So it was time for somebody else to come in and yep. take it in that direction, which I didn't believe in. Yep. So um, I had a few thoughts about what I wanted to do. Um, and I actually got pretty far down the path of one of them. I even considered, you know, being a lawyer again. Mm -hmm. um, and I had done well, so it really wasn't about the money. But um, I had at the time, and again, I, I got to be careful about what I say because there's still confidential mm -hmm. confidentiality around this. Mm -hmm. I was recruited to go run a national PEO at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and I said, no, no, I got to wait till my non-compete is up to even talk to you. Mm -hmm. And then talked to them and realized, oh, um, the industry hasn't changed that much from when I first jumped in. Because this is 2011. Wow. Um, it hadn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. um, 2012. And uh, I realized that there was still, well, there were some very big names. There was really no clear market leader. And the industry had still not solved for this thing that I had seen back in 2003, which was it fits for larger clients. It really does. So um, I looked at buying a couple of PEOs. We, friends and family and myself, had uh, put together a little war chest. And all of the things that I looked at, I, I realized ugh, I, I'll have to change so much. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that much money at the time. I had to do my own market research. <laughs> but I did, I'll never forget this. I went to large company CEOs, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, large being had to be over 100 employees. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, look, I've been here, done that. What would cause you to either go PEO or if you made that decision for whatever reason to select a PEO. Mm -hmm. And I got the same thing again and again. It was, look, it's not payroll. If I just needed payroll, there are people that can do payroll for pennies yeah. and they do it really well. Mm -hmm. It's also not the insurance products hmm. because that's what insurance agents are for. And there's tons of them. Yeah. Yes, there's some value to the overall outsourcing. Mm -hmm. Value proposition. I, I hate the phrase, but one throat to choke, right? Right, right, uh, right, right. But what we really could use help with is HR. Mm -hmm. um, we're larger, we're multi state. Yeah. We have more interesting issues. Um, you know, we have issues that aren't something that the typical account manager, which is the typical PEO model, yeah. Yeah. Handles um is familiar with so uh if you could help there mm -hmm. that would be really valuable mm -hmm. interesting and interesting. that's what i used to decide to go uh start engage and it was you know a business plan mm -hmm. to uh recruiting my first executives uh First was a technology friend that has been with me since the technology company. Mm -hmm. um, and second was uh, 
uh, the, 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 a woman and friend of this day, Midge Seltzer. Sure. Uh, sure. Yep. I went over right. to, uh, you know, put together Engage. Um, and, uh, you know, she helped with the operational side. Yep. Um, and I owned the sales side. And I was salesperson number one. <laughs> but that matters, doesn't it? Like when the CEO is, when you're doing sales calls, yeah, you're not insulated, right? It, it well, matters. look, I'm a sales guy at heart. I mean, I was a sales guy when I was a, I was a commercial litigator. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, as startups are hard, <laughs> I, I've done two now, um, and it's it's different. You know, when you go to that first sales call and the client asks you, so how many clients do you have? And I'll never forget, I was brazen. So my answer was, can I count you? Um, <laughs> you know, because the answer was not good. Um, I didn't get that deal, but I've polished that up a little later. Um, but no, it, it's it's a tough thing. We knew what to put together, right? We knew um to put at the time it was HRP in place. Um, we knew that we had to have an account manager, a payroll processor, um, you know, some workers' comp product, et cetera. But um, getting from concept to clients is always the, the tricky part. Um, yeah. And that first year, you know, we added about a thousand worksite employees selling this different product. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was a slog. Yeah. But you guys had really explosive growth after that. I mean, is it? Well, you know, yeah. First, I, I mean, knew you guys were a startup. And second, I knew you weren't a startup anymore. You were. I remember attending a Napio meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Pearlberg walks up to me. And we had always, uh, you know, been colleagues and friends and competitors because he was at Oasis. I was at Alpha Staff. We are, we live. 30 miles apart. Um, and we had both grown our companies yeah. um, for, for many years. And we both would take employees from each other for years. Yeah. Um, so he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I am the smallest PEO here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he laughed and he said, not for long. He's such a good guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, we started, our first client started in 2012. Okay. Um, and today we have about 80,000 worksite employees. So in the better part of a decade, we've grown from zero, literally, yeah. to 80,000. And I think that's faster. Well, I know it's faster than any other PEO. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I'll ask you what I asked with Alpha Staff. How? What's this time I've got a better answer. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, you guys also, I spoke to a group that Midge brought up here a couple of years ago. Um and it always it, it impressed me that you had like you know the, the the garden variety HR person you know answering the phones were lawyers. Yes, were lawyers. that's that was the difference, right? So we brought we we turned the model on its head. Um, the, the 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 PEO model that I grew up with has an account manager um, that's delivering HR services, mm -hmm. and when the questions come up that are a little outside the normal HR world, um, that account manager at some PEOs becomes a Google lawyer, right? What do I do if? Um, and at other PEOs, that account manager will go to a legal support person, get the 
write answers mm -hmm. right. and deliver it. Mm -hmm. um, so at Engage, what we do is, is very different. We have that same account manager, but they're focused on account management. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're SHRM certified as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they do deliver some HR, but the stuff mm -hmm. that's in their alley and partnered with them hand in glove is an HR, we call them HR consultants, but they're lawyers, they're labor and employment lawyers that are also delivering the HR service to the clients. Because again, the, the product was designed to solve that can we go to larger clients? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we built that product and quickly realized, uh, I'll date ourselves because mm -hmm. I said this to somebody else that was a little younger and they said, what's that from? Um, <laughs> but I realized quickly that if we built it, it was not going to just come, um, <laughs> you know, so feel the dreams. Yeah. Uh, but the we realized that if we were going to go get larger clients, we had to have a referral channel mm -hmm. that was going to be able to deliver us the opportunities to the decision makers. A mm -hmm. typical PEO sale, your uh, salesperson is calling in, maybe working a center of influence. But if you call in to a 20-person company, a 10-person company, I, I don't know what the, the, the exact numbers are. I think average size is somewhere in the 20 range. About 22. Yeah. Low 22. 20. Okay, low 20s. You call into that client, that, that prospect, you have a shot at getting to a decision maker. If you're calling into a 100, 200 person client, you're going to get a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. And heaven forbid you get a uh, you know director of HR, also known as the kiss of death for PEO, um, <laughs> you're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you have to have referral partners that can take you to that larger client decision maker. Mm -hmm. um, and for that, we partnered with insurance agents. Um, and the insurance agents, um, you know, the, look, they resell. That's what they do. So their stock and trade is relationships. Yeah. You know, I joke with my PNC friends that they have the best golf games on the planet. <laughs> and um, they have those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a differentiated product, which Engage did, if we have these uh, referral sources partnered, because you can't let agents sell PEO, mm -hmm. partnered with tenured, experienced salespeople, mm -hmm. you're able to grow like we have. Yeah. Our average client size before the M&A that we did um, or excluding the MA is about 75 employees per client. Wow. It's a, it's about three times the industry average. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's impressive. Impressive. It is and so if you're selling to a company that much larger, you can grow that much faster with the same amount of deals. Absolutely right. A absolutely right. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I talked about M&A a little bit before. So, uh Talk to me about uh, uh, acquiring and being acquired, right? So Can I take one step back first? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So um, the other thing that really drove progress to get to these larger clients um, 
was Napio driven or ESAC driven. I'm not exactly sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that was 2014, right? Where the industry suddenly became legitimized. Yeah. Um, I forget what SBEA stands for, but with the Federal Sufficiency Act is embedded in my brain. Yes. Okay. And I remember because at the time I had gotten roped into being on either the NAPIO or the ESAC board. <laughs> um, and there was a vote on whether we should continue to pursue. Mm. Um, that federal legislation. And fortunately, I was on the right side of it, but I don't mind telling you that it was not a unanimous vote no. because no. back then, the uh, people on the board, there were a large share of them that thought it was a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. 